I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We're going to be looking today at Genesis chapter 3. You can also find the passage printed for you in your bulletin. Uh, we're taking a short break from uh, our sermon series in 2 Samuel. We're going to do a little mini-series uh, for Advent as we, as God's people, wait uh, with hope for the final peace uh, that will come when Jesus returns again. We also look back and we remember his first advent as we wait and hope uh, for the peace that comes in his second advent. And God's people, for many years before uh, Jesus came the first time, uh, were told about the coming of the Messiah. And over the next several Sundays, we're going to be looking at how Christ was clearly proclaimed uh, in the Old Testament in order to prepare God's people for his arrival. Today we're going all the way back to the beginning, uh, to Genesis, and to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we uh, already read verses 1 through 8 earlier in the service, so I'm going to pick up in verse 8 and then read down through verse 21. And they, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Let's pray together. Our Father, we would ask for you to be present wherever we might be. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to see wonderful things that you want us to understand from this portion of your word. In particular, Father, help us to understand the darkness that came as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. 
And help us to have an understanding of that, Father, so that we might all the more celebrate the coming of the light of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Robert Simon was the clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University Medical, Georgetown University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C., up until the time of his death in 2016. Dr. Simon was known as an expert in the fields of clinical and forensic psychiatry. And back in May of 2001, he, uh, just a few months before 9-11 took place, he was interviewed for an article in the magazine Newsweek. Uh, the journalist that was writing the article was writing on the topic of the roots of evil. And when Dr. Simon was interviewed, this is what he said. The capacity for evil is a human universal. There is a continuum of evil, of course, ranging from trivial evils like cutting someone off in traffic to greater evils like acts of prejudice to massive evils like those perpetuated by Serial killers. But within us all are the roots of all evil. Now, I did a little checking this week to see if I could figure out whether Dr. Simon was a man of faith, a a religious man of, of any sort, and I wasn't able to figure that out. But this is what we know. All truth is God's truth. And Dr. Simon, in his quote here, is putting his finger on a truth that comes right out of the Bible. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's not hard to see that. Not hard to see that as we look in history. It's not hard to see that even as we look at the world today. But the question is, how did we get to that place? Genesis 3 tells us the true story of both the darkness coming into the world and the promise of God's grace and mercy to us, the light of the world, who would come. And until we understand the darkness in the world, we won't be fully ready to celebrate the entrance of the light of the world. The better that we would understand the curses pronounced in the Garden of Eden, the better we will understand and and be transformed by the promise of the good news of God's grace that is also for us here in Genesis chapter 3. So today, that's what I want us to look at, those two things, the curse and the promise. So first of all, the curse. Now, just to remind us, Uh, A little bit of the context leading up to uh, verses 8 and following, both in what we read earlier as well as what we read in Genesis 1 and 2. God had given a command to Adam and Eve about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he had forbidden them from eating from it. And the serpent deceived Adam and Eve into doubting the goodness of God and that they could told them that they could even be like God if they would eat of the tree. Eve was eventually convinced and took fruit from the tree and ate from it and then gave some to Adam who also ate. And we read that their eyes were opened and they recognized and realized their nakedness and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And as God came looking for them in the garden, they were afraid of God and they tried to hide themselves from him. They were full of guilt 
and shame and fear. And the Lord came and explained to them the consequences for their sin. He addressed the serpent first. You can see that in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. As we're going to see here in just a minute, when God approached Adam and Eve, he did so with questions. But not so with the serpent. He addresses the serpent directly. And notice in verse 14, God told the serpent that the serpent itself was cursed. Cursed are you. Along with that curse came consequences. He would crawl on the ground. He would eat dust as its food. Dust in scripture often symbolizes humiliation and defeat. And there would be enmity between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring. That word enmity means hostility. It means opposition, conflict, discord. That there would be antagonism from that moment on between those who were of the family of God and those who were of the family of the serpent. And the serpent also heard the Lord explain that one day he would be finally defeated. We'll speak about more that more about that in just a moment. Next, the Lord turned his attention to the woman in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. The curse that the woman heard uh, was realized for her in two specific ways, both of them being relational. The first, pain in childbirth would be multiplied. Bringing children into this world would come with increased pain and difficulty. And secondly, there would now be discord and friction and tension with her husband, Adam. One commentator put it this way, to love and to cherish became to desire and to dominate. The word here that uh, the Lord gives to Eve, that her desire shall be contrary to her husband, it's the same wording that we find just a chapter later in chapter 4 of Genesis as the Lord was speaking to Cain and told Cain that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is contrary to you. The desire of sin was to control and to dominate Cain. And this is the same word that's being used here for how Eve and Adam would now relate to one another. Eve would desire to to control Adam and Adam, we are told, would rule over her. Discord, frustration, tension between Adam and Eve. So we see now the Lord changed his view to Adam in verses 17, 18, and 19, where he reserved the longest explanation of a curse. To Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Even though we don't see Adam in the dialogue between Eve and the serpent earlier in chapter 3, as the serpent came and tempted, Adam was still there. He was present. And rather than defending his wife and the garden, he's silent and inactive. And as a result, Adam is told about the consequences of his sin. The ground that Adam had had been given to work and to tend was now cursed. There would be thorns and thistles that he would have to labor through in his tending to the ground. We, we read that he will have to do it in pain at the end of verse 17. It's the same word for pain as was given to Eve with regard to childbirth. Now his work would be sweat-producing, pain-inducing. The ground that was supposed to be submitting to man now would resist him and eventually would swallow him up in death. And Adam had the added consequence, because he was married to Eve, of dealing with the curse that Eve was told about as well. He would have to deal with the effects of the relational discord with his wife. Now, on top of all of that, we see here that for both Adam and for Eve, the relationship not only had changed between the two of them and and between them and creation, but now the the relationship with the Lord God Almighty had changed. We read in verse 8 that when they heard that the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Their relationship with their Lord had changed. How much had changed since Genesis 1 and 2? Now they were afraid of Him. For the first time they were experiencing guilt and shame and insecurity and fear. We don't know what it's like to live without those things. And yet here they are feeling them and experiencing them for the very first time. The impact of all of this was severe. So much was now different from before the fall. Every aspect of life had been touched and would be that way until Jesus would return again. And this is the world that we live in as well. We live with these curses as normal parts of our life. We experience pain in childbirth. We experience discord and tension and loneliness in relationships between husbands and wives. We experience the pain and the sweat and even the failure of our work. We live in a life where there, is con- where there is conflict and hostility between those who are a part of the family of God and those who are not. We too live with shame and guilt and fear and insecurity and we too try to hide ourselves from God. To deal with our guilt and our shame, we hide ourselves by trying to cover ourselves with spiritual fig leaves and hide in the bushes. We do that by trying to fill our lives with stuff. Houses and cars and electronics and clothes. We do that even with something good like work that God gives to us uh, as, as to be a blessing. We use our work and turn it into something of, of an idol. We use things like food and alcohol and prescription drugs. And we try to cover up our shame and our guilt and our pain. And for some of us, the fig leaves that we choose are uh, trying to be really, really good in God's sight and really, really good in the sight of others so that they will love us and accept us. These curses 
and their effect are significant, they are real, they are powerful, and they are present with us until Jesus comes back. But I want you to notice something. When God addressed the serpent, the curse was on the serpent itself. Cursed are you, God said to the serpent. But when He addressed Adam and Eve, He did not curse Adam and Eve. He cursed aspects of their life. Childbirth, their relationship, their relationship with creation. But He did not tell Adam and Eve that they were cursed. It's a subtle but an important difference. Because as we see that difference, it leads us to start to see the promise of the good news that is also here in chapter 3 of Genesis. We can see that, first of all, in the way that God pursues His people in these verses. God didn't have to pursue Adam and Eve. He could have wiped them off the face of the earth, and that would have been just and righteous. But God entered into the war zone. He entered into the mess of this world to pursue His people. If you're familiar with strategies of war, then you know that one of the key strategies is to take out the top leader of your enemy. And there's a wonderful, brilliant story that came out of World War II that illustrates this very well. Preparations were being made for the D-Day invasion, and General Eisenhower got word that... Uh, England's Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, was planning to be in person at the invasion. He wanted to be perched up on one of the crow's nests of the ships so that he could watch the invasion taking place. And when Eisenhower heard about it, he was horrified. Churchill being put in harm's way was, uh, was too much. He might be captured, he might be killed, and the effect not only for England, but for the, for the intention of the entire war would be disastrous. But Eisenhower had a problem because he didn't have any authority over Churchill. He couldn't just forbid him to not go. So Eisenhower came up with a brilliant plan. He appealed to a higher authority over Churchill. He contacted the King of England, King George VI. And Eisenhower told King George what Churchill was planning. The king then contacted Churchill and said, if it's safe for the prime minister to be physically present at the invasion of Normandy, then it's safe for the king of England to be there as well. Churchill was horrified. He knew that it was too great of a risk. King George would be in harm's way. He could be hurt. He could be captured. He could be killed. And so Churchill canceled his plans to go. It was a brilliant plan to keep both the king and the prime minister out of harm's way. Thankfully, our God and king doesn't operate with that same mindset. He came into the war zone. He came into the mess of the world that were created by the serpent and Adam and Eve. He could have wiped Adam and Eve off the face of the earth after verse 7. But instead, we read in verse 8, He came into the garden... And we read that the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool. That's a Hebrew idiom for friendship. The Lord God Almighty was looking for His friends. 
He was looking for his children, even though they tried to hide, even though in their shame and their guilt, they tried to run away and hide themselves from God. What do we read in verse 9? The Lord God called to the man. It's, it reminds us of what we read in Ephesians chapter 2 from Paul as he, as he tells us about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then verse 4 says, But God, out of the great love with which He loved us, saved us. Here we are seeing God pursuing His people, calling out to His people, reminding them that they are His children. And notice that when He came to them, He came to them asking questions. The serpent He addressed directly with Adam and Eve. He asked them, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit that I told you you shouldn't eat? What is this that you've done? He's giving them opportunity to repent and to turn back to Him once again. We see this wonderful pursuit that God is doing with His people. We also see that God makes a promise to His people. Verse 15, as He's speaking to the serpent, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. And if you notice carefully, the promise of the coming seed that would come was actually given to the serpent. Adam and Eve are there. They are hearing this promise, this proto-euangelion, as it's often referred to, the, the first announcement of the good news of the gospel of God's grace. In Romans 16, Paul would reference this promise in Genesis 3.15 and connect it with the incarnation and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this Hebrew word here for offspring is very important. It actually is the word for seed. And this seed, this offspring, becomes the overarching theme for the rest of the Old Testament. The promise that is given here in Genesis 3.15 is unfolded in the lives of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the prophets. And even King David was given a glimpse of the unfolding of this seed. After we finish our mini-series in Advent, we will come back to 2 Samuel and we'll be in chapter 7. And when we get to that passage in chapter 7, we will read about God addressing David when he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now that was partially fulfilled with the son Solomon who would come and build a house for the Lord. But this promise is something bigger than just the one man Solomon because the promise is for a kingdom and a throne that would rule forever. God is unfolding the seed of Genesis 3.15 to David to talk once again about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the seed ultimately fulfilled. The promised offspring to Adam and Eve, the promised offspring to David would arrive in the Lord Jesus Christ who lived a life of perfect love and obedience to God and then willingly went to the cross and gave his life as a sacrifice for the sin of his people. He was crucified. He had his heel bruised in fulfilling the promise of Genesis 3. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the grave and ascended to heaven. And in doing that, he crushed the head of the serpent. So that when he comes again, 
He will bring the new heavens and the new earth. He will bring true and everlasting peace. And the promise of Genesis 3.15 will be consummated. Now, it's certainly the case that it's Adam and Eve heard this promise being given all the way back in Genesis 3. They certainly didn't understand everything that we now understand on this side of the gospel. But God did give them a very dramatic picture to show them His provision. You can see it in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and, Adam and, for, and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God provided clothes for Adam and for Eve in place of their temporary fig leaves. And God did it in dramatic fashion. Adam and Eve knew all well the warning that was given to them in Genesis chapter 2. That as a result of disobeying God, death would come. Not only had they now experienced that spiritually as they were alienated from God, but now they were going to see it firsthand. Animals would be killed in order to provide clothing and skins for them. They saw, they heard, they smelled death. Imagine being draped with bloody animal skins. Imagine the shock and the horror that must have been. How bad it would be for us, let alone those who had not experienced anything like that before. These were not suits and dresses from some famous tailor. They were bloody skins of the animals draped over them. But God wasn't just trying to gross them out. He was providing them a picture of His promise. The animals being sacrificed to provide for Adam and Eve was a picture of the innocent dying for the guilty. Of blood being shed to cover guilt. The animal skins themselves didn't save Adam and Eve. They didn't restore the righteousness to Adam and Eve. That could only happen through the promised offspring who would crush the head of the serpent, the Messiah who was to come. Jesus would take on our curse on himself and he would pay the ultimate price, death on the cross, so that we might receive the peace of God. It is interesting that at the end of Jesus' life, he found himself in a garden as well. Not the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Eden before the fall, there was peace, there was contentment, there was provision. Adam and Eve had every reason to obey God, but they didn't. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was in a place of loneliness and isolation and experienced anguish as he wrestled with God. Jesus had every reason to give up and not obey God, but he loved and obeyed his Father in heaven perfectly until the very end. Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden and the tree of life became a tree of death for us. Jesus obeyed and a tree of death, the cross, became life for all those who would believe in him. So as we finish this morning, the question for us is this. Do you believe it. Genesis 3 is crystal clear 
There are only two offsprings. There are only two seeds. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are of the seed that leads to death and those who come from the seed that leads to life. Seeds that live life putting on fig leaves trying to cover up their sin and shame and guilt and fear and nakedness trying to save themselves. Or seeds that live life covered by garments of righteousness that have been secured by the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephanie and I watched the movie Woman in Gold again recently. Uh, If you've seen that movie, you know it's based on the true story of Maria Altman, who was an elderly Jewish refugee living in Los Angeles in the uh, early and mid and late 1990s. Uh, She ended up taking the Austrian government to court in order to reclaim a very famous painting of her aunt that had been done by Gustav Klimt. The painting had been stolen out of her Austrian home by Nazis before World War, just before World War II. And after the war, the painting was illegally put into a museum in Vienna. The battle went all the way to the Supreme Court, which eventually ruled in her favor, and an arbitration committee in Austria eventually returned the painting to Maria. While they were enduring the legal fight... Uh, In Austria, Maria and her attorney were approached by a journalist, an Austrian journalist, who offered to to give them help without being paid anything. Well, naturally, they wondered what his motivation was. These paintings were worth hundreds of millions of dollars. All the journalist would tell them was that he had a personal interest in seeing Altman win the case. Toward the end of the movie, they're waiting for the final verdict to come from the arbitration committee that would return the painting to Maria. And as they're waiting for the verdict to come in, the journalist is sitting with Maria and her attorney, and he begins to explain what his motivation was all about. He tells them that when he was 15 years old, he found out that his own father was a Nazi in support of Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich. And he had done horrible things. And then he said this to Maria and the attorney, I've been trying to pay for the sins of my father for my entire life. He had lived his life in shame and guilt and insecurity and fear, trying to cover up the nakedness of his family and the nakedness that he felt as well. And although in the movie... The victory in Altman's case brought the journalist some level of satisfaction and peace. It never works when we're talking about our sin before a holy God. There are only two seeds in life. There are only two ways of living. One leads to darkness and to death. The other to light and to life. And if you're here this morning or online this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the application today is simple. Put your faith and trust in the one who was long promised. The Lord Jesus Christ. Have him cover your spiritual nakedness with his covering of forgiveness and righteousness. And in doing so, experience Peace that can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those who are here and online who are believers, who are Christians, the more that you mature in the Christian faith, the more that you will see your sin. 
That doesn't mean you sin more and more. But what it means is the, the more you mature in your faith, the more you will have eyes to see the breadth and the depth of your sin. And as the Lord opens your eyes to see the breadth and the depth of your sin, the more you will see the breadth and the depth of His kindness to you in Christ Jesus. And the more that you see the kindness of God to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, the more it must drive you to repentance and and to a desire to say no to your sin and to say yes to living according to the Word of God. Let's pray together. Our God and King, our Father in Heaven, we are in awe as we read Your Word. How through the work of the Holy Spirit You were at work in people to write Your Word in such such a way that this wonderful story of the seed coming to fruition in the Lord Jesus Christ is woven throughout the entire Bible. Not only do we stand in awe as as we see it, we also are... So thankful. We're thankful as we, as we see our Lord Jesus Christ, the culmination of this promise from Genesis chapter 3, and seeing His grace to us. Father, would You help us to have a greater apprehension of that grace and mercy. And as we grasp Your kindness to us, we pray that You would move in us to believe it in even greater ways to be people of even greater repentance and to be people of even greater holiness through your work of the Holy Spirit. It's hard, Father, living now as we wait for the second coming of our Savior. And so as we wait, as we wait with hope, also help us to wait with peace, a peace that comes only through our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.